The first thing that comes to mind when you think of K-pop is probably BTS and Blackpink. And rightfully so, these groups have made huge strides in the Western market with BTS being nominated for a Grammy and Blackpink getting their own spot at Coachella. Of course, there are other groups that had or are making noteworthy accomplishments in the international market, making it a fair statement that K-pop is taking the world by storm. But like everything else, there is more than what meets the eye. I'm Kara, and this is The Dark Side of K-Pop. Now, like any other business, companies in the nicest terms are more concerned with turning out profits than other things. I would like to preference that not all companies care more about money than their employees, but it is still a prevalent issue that occurs more than it should. Some of these issues in K-pop include slave contracts and the company's mistreatment of their idols. If you don't know what a slave contract is, it's an unfair long-term contract between idols and their companies, mostly to maximize the company's profits. Companies started to implement into contracts that an idol would have to pay back their living and training costs. Unlike in American labels, idols go through a training period where they learn how to sing, dance, act, and other skills they would need to become a successful K-pop idol. Where they would go through monthly evaluations for the company choose the best trainees to become a part of a new idol group that would debut. Depending on success, it usually takes years for idols to break even with their training debt and start to make a profit. Along with this condition, contracts also allowed companies to control diets, relationships, and their trainees slash idols socialize. These contracts extended for 10 to 13 years. The concept of slave contracts was opened up to the public when three members of the group TVXQ, the acronym for the Japanese name, or DBSK, acronym for the Korean name, issued an injunction to nullify their contract with SM Entertainment because of unfair distribution of profit and excessively long 13-year contract. TVXQ was a five-member boy group that debuted under SM Entertainment in 2003. The group consisted of Yuno Yunho, Max Changmin, Jaejung, Yutan, and Jeonsu with their debut single Hug. In 2004, their debut album Triangle debuted at number one on the monthly album chart by the Music Industry Association of Korea and made their Japanese debut in the same year. The group's first major breakthrough in popularity was with the 2005 release of the album Rising Sun with the title track of the same name. That became the group's signature song. On their 2006 international tour, they became the first Korean artist to hold a concert in Malaysia. With continuous success in both Japan and Korea, they were at the top of the K-pop world, even winning Album of the Year at the Golden Disc Awards so early on into their career. In 2008, the group released probably their most successful single in their career with Marotic, surpassing half a million sales. But with every high, there always comes a low. In mid-July of 2008, Jeonsu, Yoo-chan, and Jae-jung filed a petition for an injunction against SM for contract length and unfair profit distribution. The choice to file an injunction was made to avoid a law case that could take years to resolve. As the group continued activities in Japan as five, their three members could not resolve their conflicts with their company, and with the court granting their injunction due to the wording of their contract that they had to do as told by SM was so severe that it fell under the protection of the strong employment contract laws. Therefore, they had the right to quit their contract whenever they wanted. 
Thus, they split entirely from the group in 2010, forming the group JYJ. It was actually SM that filed the first lawsuit with an objection to the judgment for injunctive relief. This case would go on for a year and a half that ultimately ended with JYJ winning the main case. But there were multiple additional lawsuits, including JYJ suing SM to be paid for all the money they were owed by their contracts for their activities up to the point because SM stopped paying them after the members filed their petitions. In 2012, all lawsuits were settled with SM paying the withheld money according to the contracts. The head of the proposal, Assemblywoman Choi Min-hee, said, With this law, the rights of artists like JYJ, whose television appearances have been interfered with, as well as the rights of the fans who want to see these artists on television, are guaranteed. End quote. The law was passed in 2015 by the National Assembly. The three-year-long legal spat shocked fans and left a lasting impact on the industry. It opens people's eyes to issues surrounding slave contracts, causing major changes to the way contracts were made. In 2009, Korea Fair Trade Commission established a new rule that limited contracts to seven years instead of 13. They even inspired a new law called the JYJ Law. The law prohibits broadcasting companies from preventing appearances of groups or individuals on a show due to a third party that was unrelated to the production of the show, or due to a request that comes from a third party after a guest has been legally cleared to appear on a show. In other words, artist television appearances cannot be interfered with by outside sources. Even more changes were made to contracts in 2017 when Korea's Fair Trade Commission looked into eight major entertainment companies. That included SM Entertainment, YG Entertainment, JYP Entertainment, Lone Entertainment, FNC Entertainment, Cube Entertainment, Jellyfish Entertainment, and finally, DSP Media. Through their investigation, they changed six contract clauses. The first being modifications to the excessive fines and penalties on training contract cancellations that were imposed by six out of the eight companies looked into. Cancellations would cause penalties up to three times the amount invested in a trainee. The second was only allowing companies to begin preliminary negotiations upon expiring contracts. This was to stop companies from pressuring their artists to renew their contracts. If they did not, they would have to return the double amount invested in them. These types of the conditions were shown in three out of the eight companies' research. The third and the fourth alterations were surrounding companies' ability to cancel contracts without notice or for ambiguous reasons. Now, companies are required by contract to have a grace period where the two parties will have time to work out any conflicts and the clause that allowed companies to give unclear or superficial reasons has been removed. All but one company had one or both of these clauses within their contracts. The fifth stopped companies from forcing trainees to pay penalties immediately upon infringement of their contracts. Lastly, there was a clause that limited legal cases surrounding training contracts to just the sole central district court, but was changed to include all authorized courts. According to the KFTC, all entertainment agencies voluntarily made the adequate adjustments to their contracts. With all these changes, slave contracts are now rarely used by K-pop companies. However, that doesn't change the fact that companies are prone to put their interests of themselves over their artists. A prime example would be the group GOT7. GOT7 is a seven-member group coming from JYP Entertainment in 2014 that after their seven-year contract expired this year in 2021, all the members decided to not renew their contract and leave the company. 
Now this came to no surprise to these groups fandom, I Got 7 or Agases, due to the many complaints that the company did not promote the group, continuously understocked albums, and many more complications that would hinder the potential success of a comeback. In fact, when news released on GOT7's departure of JYP, their fandom showed unrelenting support for the group, trending hashtag GOT7 new page with 7 or never, 7 or nothing. The future looks bright for GOT7 to be able to explore their own endeavors without the hindrance of their companies. Fans now can rest easy, but there's always that question of why JYP would tamper with their own group's success. A report released by Newspin might be able to provide an answer for this question. A report released Wednesday, January 27th revealed that JYP would revise their contract to favor the company after their experience with GOT7. In GOT7's contract, it was structured to give 40% of profit to the artist and 60% to the company when it came to domestic promotion. While for international promotions, the artist would get 70% of the profits, while the company only got 30%, which means that because GOT7 had a very successful career upon debut, the company had to pay the members a high amount from the start. Also, GOT7 became hugely popular internationally, so they endeavored in many international promotions, thus bringing in a huge amount of revenue that JYP was contractively obliged to give the members 70% of. The group would end up with 40% more profit than the company, and even with the margin being divided up among seven members, their cut was rumored to still be higher than what the company ended up with. This could explain why GOT7 was badly promoted and mismanaged to avoid giving the group a big cut. All in all, whether it is to be the use of slave contracts or suspected intentional interference of a comeback to hinder its success, it's pretty clear that companies care more about obtaining profits than their idols. Of course, this is not true for all companies in every situation in K-pop, but it is a part of the dark side of K-pop.